Welcome to the Whatnot Podcast, where we put the what into whatnot live every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. on Facebook and YouTube. Good evening, it's Wednesday at 9 p.m. I am Mike Z. This is the Whatnot Podcast. Joined with me is Chris, and tonight we have Morgan Hop from Microjig. A.K.A. the Wood Sorcerer. That was an impressive intro. I feel like I was just transported to another dimension. I feel like I'm about to watch an episode of Game of Thrones and then travel to another dimension. That was amazing. Well, we're here. You're here now. Welcome. We'll see which one of the three of us wins the battle, so be prepared. Yeah. Chris likes a battle to the end. Yeah. It's all good. But in case you don't know, Morgan is a content creator. Very good at doing videos, a lot of content in general. He is uh, out there for micro jig. Um, I, for me, it's the cart that you did during quarantine. Oh, I yeah. Yeah, I just the idea behind everyone had a flip cart, but you had like a flip cart that fit into a small 120 square foot shed. But it did everything. So to me, that's when I got started. And then Chris told me, you know, hey, he's interested in coming on the podcast. I'm like, oh, yeah, absolutely. He, he kills flies with the actual gun that you see in Lowe's or Home Depot. Not Home Depot. Jeez, it's still Harbor Freight, the, the salt gun, right? Isn't it Harbor Freight? I probably I got it. I got it at Ace Hardware. <laughs> Even better. Well, we'll just throw out all those big box store names tonight. Hashtag yeah. not sponsored. Yeah, you're not kidding. <laughs> Jeez. Just ruined the entire evening with that one. But no, that, that one right there was when uh, Chris told me, he's like, yeah, he's kind of interested in coming on the podcast. I'm like, absolutely. He's got a mustache, he's got safety glasses, and he's killing flies, feeding the family. And now the flies are all dead and the mustache is gone. I'm not sure we want him on anymore. I mean, it's just... Uh... I, mean, I can just go if you guys want. Well, I yeah. mean, you're here now, so you may as well just stay for a little while. Yeah. All right. I'll just... I mean, just I'll hang. just be, be quiet if, if that's what you guys prefer. You guys can go back to prison. We'll just go into saying hello to everyone on the evening. Gary Jones, who joined us last weekend. Thank you very much, Gary. Good evening. John Michelle McNeil. We're guessing it's John, but we always assume Michelle's in the room. And then Mr. Kyle Ely. If you don't know, Kyle Ely is part of the Learn Your CNC. Just want to get that out of the way right now. Because that is definitely not sponsored, but we love Kyle. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, for those of you who don't know, I mean, I totally know. I totally know. But what is Learn Your CNC? I'll let Chris do this one. This is his wheelhouse. Well, if you uh, are interested in CNC and you're operating in Vectric software, Kyle has a website and a fantastic tutorial called Learn Your CNC, and it is a website.com. So you go there, and he's got these, this really cool setup with a lot of different, different class options, and he starts at the very beginning of the basics of Vectric. And I don't know what he's up to now, probably like 2000 lessons. I don't know, but for a small minimal fee, you get access to all of those lessons and you can watch them in order. And then it builds on the previous lesson and uh, you do a few of them. And then he's got a little quiz that he does and you can rewatch anytime. And there's in some shortcuts and keyboard tips and it's a great value if you're getting into CNC because the software part's harder to learn than the actual CNC is. So, all right, that yeah, was almost sixty seconds. You did a really good job that time. Well, I could have narrowed it down to a thirty second if I would have known that's what we were shooting for. So, oh, that's all right. But uh, so, Morgan, <laughs> the, 
Sorry. Oh, it's, it's the hashtag not sponsored. Um, so, I'm learning. Um, learning. So, Chris, I, I know that you've you've spoken with uh, Ralph. Ralph is um, he he's he's been working with Microjig for a long time, but he just came on uh, board as a like an actual you know Microjig employee this year. Um, but he actually just came out with a book um, about the CNC. It's like a hundred some pages, um, and they're carrying it in in uh, Woodcraft. Um, and it's available digitally and stuff. So uh, that's another cool CNC resource. Um, I know that you've spoken with Ralph, so that mm-hmm. that came out, I think, like two weeks ago. So <laughs> check that out. Yeah, give that a whirl. Nope, I saw that somewhere. I'll find that eventually. But um, so the question we usually have whenever we talk about learn your CNC for you, Morgan, what is your profile preference? T or sorry, chamfer. Or roundover. Oh, you went there. I don't know that. Uh, it, I mean, it depends on the depends on the build, and one build doesn't have to have only one edge profile. You can use both in a single build. I literally never suspected a politically correct to come out. I was going to say <laughs> that was so well. Okay, put. I'm, a, I'm an edge profile centrist. Um, <laughs> that was great. No, I mean. I, Round of, uh, I don't. It it depends on the style of the build. You know, if if you're doing a um, kind of like a, a like a mid-century modern piece, um, that's got those kind of those those clean lines and in uh, tight angles, I would go for a chamfer. Um, and for I don't know, probably most other stuff, I would do a round of. I don't know. You just feel it out. It's like you don't have to have a policy on it. We don't have a policy on it. We just like to pick on Chris. But mm-hmm. what I heard there was that if it was style specific, he liked chamfer. But for the rest of it, and that's everything else in the mid-century, sounded like team roundover for me. Well, Wait. see, I include roundover, and they dis- I think they dis- most everybody else disagrees. Roundover is also a beating bit. It's also a step round. It's used in other profiles like an OG. So, I mean, a roundover is just, it's so versatile. It's other, other types of, of, um, details want to use it. So, you know, other profiles like, just wish they were roundover. So they include it in the party. Champer so is just eh, an angle. Eh, no, that's double. not true. It could be 60. It could be 90. It could be 45. It could be an eighth of an inch deep. It could be a quarter of an inch deep. There's a lot you could do with a chamfer. This sounds like a chamfer is confused to me. That's all I can see. So the, the, one thing that I like, is, so if you're committed to uh, a build style and you decide to use a chamfer, um, you don't necessarily have to do it with a router. You can do it on a table saw. Um, mm-hmm. But a roundover, you can really only do with a router or if you're very good, hand sanding it. Yes, you could hand sand it. Or if you want to pull out the stumpy nubs wall of roundover hand planes, you could do it that way too. Nah. Too much work. There you go. That's why chamfers. It's just not. <laughs> if you, I mean, if you're trying to, you know, if you, if you're trying to get stuff done, if you're trying to to you know make a living, uh, making stuff out of wood, you don't have time for that kind of stuff. That's true. That is true. So team roundover. So that's a uh, three for Chris and everybody else. Seven thousand for Mike. <laughs> chamfers just easier, simple, elegant. I get, I get, that's why it's a joke. Cause I get the roundover. It's used everywhere. 
Yeah. All right. No, so, I, do, I do love a good roundover. Don't get me wrong. Oh, no. Yeah. Nothing wrong with a good roundover. I mean, I, I upset Chris all the time whenever I'm sanding a table that has a bead and I sand it with a five inch random orbit sander and get everything out of the, the contours. Drives him up a wall because he knows that's not supposed to happen. But it all works out. So, um, Morgan, speaking about building furniture, how did you get to where you are today with Microjig? You didn't just show up on the scene with some tattoos and they said, yeah, come on to the office. What, what, how did you get to where you're at? Okay. So, um, at the time, uh, so I, I had a furniture business, um, just working out of my two car garage in my home. And, um, my wife and I, we decided that we really wanted to kind of be more intentional about starting a family. And, um, the business was great. Some months, you know, some months were like, awesome someone's like yeah um and so we kind of decided that like hey you know we should probably i i should probably have something more consistent um so you know the the real job and um so i started looking around for something in my field woodworking and i saw a job posting from microjig and i didn't even know that they were local at the time i already had a few microjig products that i was using um but I had no idea that they were local. I was like, figured it was a local rep. I'll just apply. Um, so I did, and we had a phone interview, and it was for some like executive, uh, like operations executive kind of thing. Um, and we agreed at the time that I was not suited for that position at all. <laughs> Definitely agreed on that. I was like, no, that doesn't that doesn't sound like me. Um, and they were like. But you know, like we'll we'll keep your resume. You know, we'll we'll keep you in mind, and if anything comes up, we'll we will give you a call, which usually means see you never. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the last I thought about. It. And then a year and a half later, with no interaction, or you know, I wasn't even thinking about it. Uh, they called me, and they're like, "Hey, we we want to create a position for just for you to do what it is that you do." You know. Um, build stuff, make videos, and, you know, I'm sure other stuff will come up, but if you're available, we'll just bring you on. Like, yeah. So <laughs> I started in um, August of 2017, just hit my, like, four-year anniversary a couple, couple weeks ago in August. Um, and, yeah, I've, just been, I, I've, I've been doing a lot more since then, you know, what I was initially hired to do but yeah and that's basically you know i applied and then later on they were just like hey just come on and just do whatever do whatever it is you do so free reign yeah gosh what it would be to have that no so let, let me ask you since they kind of gave you a green light for most of your ideas has what was one idea that you were really happy about that they shot down and was there any uh six minute apps that's what it was. Six minute abs. <laughs> Micro jig. Uh, no. no um, what was that movie? There's something about Mary, I think. That's what <laughs> that's from. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's a movie reference. Um, an idea that they shot that they haven't really shot anything down. I mean, mm. you know, I, I, I try to think pretty reasonably. No, like mm-hmm. if I have an idea for something that I want to do, it's got to be if, if I'm going to pitch it, it's got to be reasonable 
um, you know, for you to think that this, you know, could actually be productive. Right. Um, plus, all my ideas are just solid gold, so they don't <laughs> do anything. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, that's why you chose to do this. I get it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like there's th- there is some some like random stuff that 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 I've done that uh, you know y- you wouldn't think I wouldn't think that anywhere else. Um, someone would let me do much less pay me to do it. Uh, like we, we last Halloween, we made this dumb zombie video in the shop. We spent a couple of days doing that. And that's a couple of days that we could have been spending, you know, doing uh, money making endeavors, but they're like, yeah, do the Halloween video. That sounds fun. Um, and the, the kickback machine, uh, I, that was my idea. It was like, Hey, what if we made a machine that created kickback intentionally just to, just to get some great footage of it. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, go for it. So I don't know There's there's some kind of outside of the box stuff that I pitched that I thought I wasn't going to be able to do. And they're just like, yeah, sounds cool. No, that's awesome. And I like the kickback one because it kind of makes sense due to the fact that it's one of those hand tools in the shop that's safety oriented. Like really the micro jig originally was just the gripper to kind of help keep boards down and you could cut, you know, the blade could come up past it and it would go around it and kind of straddle the blade. So there's a lot of safety to it to where you're keeping your hands um, more in purposeful situations, but you can also cut narrow pieces without a push stick. So I completely get the kickback system. Like that's a great idea. Yeah. And it was, so what we, what we've seen, like we're, I'm, I'm kind of in a unique position to where like, we get a lot of customer feedback um, and a lot of people will, will talk to us after they've had an accident. They'll say, you know, I, I, I had an accident on the table saw and now I'm buying a gripper. Um, mm-hmm. I wish I had done it before. And we, we found that a lot in a lot of these conversations, a lot of these people don't understand why kickback happens. They think that it's just some sort of inevitable thing that's going to happen when you're using a table saw that you can't avoid. And just, you know, be careful One day. When, you know, when it happens. And uh, it actually taking the time to explain the physics of it uh, required me to build that, that kickback machine um, and rent a high-speed camera that shot at 960 frames a second uh, to really capture every single step of, of what happens uh, during kickback. So it's, it's fun. It's um, but it's part of, you know, part of our, our educational process. Yeah. And, and you guys do a lot of that too. You bring a lot of the educate, you bring a lot of the education when you, you're most of your products, when you, when you talk about them, you're not just doing a, a sales pitch. You're actually bringing in the safety side of why this product makes sense or the, the functional reason this product makes sense. So, yeah, and, and that's, that's because my background is, I, I'm not a salesperson. I've never mm-hmm. once been uh, in sales. I've never been a salesperson. Um, my background's in woodworking. And so when I make videos and present a product, it's because from the perspective of a woodworker, I'm saying, hey, here's why I think this is cool and this is useful. Um, and I've actually met people like at trade shows and stuff that, uh, they meet me and they're like, Oh, I, I didn't know that you actually like 
were like an actual woodworker i thought that you were just like the you know like the guy like the you know the face that they hired or whatever i'm like yeah i get it i'm just extremely handsome i get it but i am an actual woodworker so you know. well i mean when when you're uh, a lot of your videos you're just being pushed around on a cart you know people might begin to wonder right but you know you gotta have you gotta have fun with what you're doing oh yeah even you know just take a couple minutes a day to just goof off and have fun life's too short if i had to limit if i had to limit myself to a couple minutes i think i'd struggle that's probably the majority of my day is is all you get but you know it's it's important to like really step outside of what you're doing that day and um your work and like the feeling of responsibility and just do something that makes you happy. I like it. So uh, we have a question. Mr. Gary Jones would like to know how big of a company is Microjig, And I'm guessing maybe employees, you know. Uh, yeah. It's, so if that's, if that's the question, so we, we actually, we operate pretty lean. Um, we only have, um, in our headquarters here, like the sh- this is the shop, and it's attached to the the office is right over there. Uh, we only have I think twelve full time employees, and we have four or five uh, contractors that we work with on a retainer basis. So I mean, all in about twenty people that are consistently working with Microjig, but then we have uh, several different manufacturing plants. One of them in Ohio. Um, and then uh, several abroad. So the operation is is fairly big when you count in the the manufacturing plants and all of the resources that go into those. But as far as actual microjig full time employees, only about twenty of us. That's cool. Well, and I, and I like how just twenty. Well, I like how you guys have sort of you 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 started out with you know a product. And then mm-hmm. you adapted and grew from there, not just resting on the product. You 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 brought in other products that were just really shop changers, in, in my opinion. And I have yet to use one of the microjig products that I didn't absolutely love. And so that's you know, that's always so, nice. So you've got you've got Henry Wang. Thanks for that. Um, Henry Wang is the uh, the fellow who found the company, um, invented the micro or invented the gripper, and has invented every single micro product that we have. Um, he conceives and designs and invents everything himself, um, and that's that's just kind of the the way that his mind works. Is just like every time there's a problem that a lot of people would think isn't isn't really much of a problem or not enough of a problem to really give much thought to um he thinks in thousands of inches he doesn't think in he thinks in such small terms of precision um and that's just how he operates and that's how he designs things so yeah as soon as the the gripper kind of took off and and you know it seemed like that was kind of sustaining the business it's like, all right, what other problem can I solve? And he's just kept doing that. Yeah, my favorite's the splitter. Um, 
to retrofit any table saw insert to have a riving knife. I thought that was that, and, and that was genius, hands down. Yeah, yeah, extremely good idea. Yeah, and a lot of stuff. It's so simple. It's like, wow, where's this been? Mm-hmm. My whole woodworking career. Not very true. And I can say that. Um, it, and good lord, I just, his name. What's his son's name? Bruce. Bruce. Yeah. So, um, there was a time where I was working in the store at Klingsborg and there was a sales rep and then there was this gentleman, younger gentleman, and he's kind of going over this whole micro jig spiel, you know, like he was rehearsing it and rehearsing it and he was about to meet, you know, the purchasing agent and all that stuff for Klingsborg. So he's kind of going through it. And as I walk up and I have zero idea who anybody is. And as I walk up, um, he looks over and then the older guy who was there with him, who's a sales rep who does several different companies, he looks over and he says, so what do you think? Do you think he's got it down pat? And I was like, yeah, he's not like, he sounds like he owns a company. Had no clue who he was. Yeah. He kind of looked at me and he was like, yeah, uh, well, so, you know, I'm so-and-so. And I was like, oh, okay. As soon as he said that, I just put my head down and just walked away. I was like, what an idiot. <laughs> but at the same time, they've always been super nice. And every, let's see, that would have been, that would have been 2011, 2012, somewhere in that neighborhood, easily. But every time we've met them, they've always been really nice in general, just hands down nicest people. It's amazing. Like whenever we go to a uh, a trade show, um, and Henry, he's he's getting a little bit older. He's you know, and um, he just doesn't really. He's so busy, he doesn't really have time to go to all the shows uh, anymore. But whenever he does come out to a show. He's like a, a celebrity. Like mm-hmm. people find out Henry's there, and they will like come from you know all corners of whatever conference uh, conference center, and they'll just come and see Henry because he's just uh, people. People he's he's been around for a while, and he's met everybody, and we'll just love Henry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. So, uh, Chris, here when you're talking about you haven't met a micro jig product that you don't like. Um, weren't you just a part of some sort of contest with them based on your sled or what did you, what did you submit? I think everybody in the world that uses micro jig was part of that contest that they had, but, um, yeah, you know, we've talked about some of the things I've made, you know, in the past using the, the, especially the match fit system. Um, but, and the one thing that I didn't integrate into that but plan to in a future small sled is uh is the the little track bar that they uh i can't remember the name of it now the adjustable miter, oh, the zero, miter, play. zero play bar and yeah. i had bought it with the intentions of doing it and then i said well you know what i'm gonna build this sled so big i just i'm just gonna go with a longer runner but i kept that in the back of my mind so i will be coming back to that but yeah the there's so many jigs I've made with it, even stuff that people look at me and go, well, that's not going to work. Next thing you know, I'm using it to uh, hold dust pipe to a ceiling or cabinets to the ceiling while my wife, you know, my wife's just put, got her foot against the thing while I'm screwing the cabinets to the wall. Just, you find a use, you use it. I'm still trying to figure out a way to use it on the CNC safely. Oh, Matt. All right. Here. Check this out. So, the hang on one second. I gotta take a few things 
off of here um, because the few things that we have on our machine that are like currently in development, and I can't really show you right now. Oh, come on. There's only it's five just it's watching. just us us, oh, us three here, love, Morgan. Come on, me, nobody else is watching. I would love to show you, um, but anyway, so this this is our machine. Um, so basically, all you got to do all you got to do is, is toolpath some some straight lines, um, and when you have the actual machine cut your spoil board, it's going to be perfectly parallel to the x and y axes, so that you can put a stop. Um, that registers up against the edge of one of these these tracks, it's going to be dead on with that axis. Um, and then, you know, just some simple stops. You, you know, hold stuff down and it's... You can use this on the CNC. That's, that's actually one of the best uses I can think of for it is on the CNC. Well, and, and if I would have gone with a uh, solid slab spoil board, I would be in 100% agreement with you. I, 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 however, do not have that. And, uh, you know, and I can see where as you have to clean that spoil board, you've already got the file ran for your, your track. So it's just a matter of rerunning that track at the right depth again. So, I mean, I can certainly see that for sure. Yeah. So I do, I mean, like really, so the, the way that, I toolpath stuff is I'll I'll find the depth or I'll you know I'll, I'll you know use a caliper to find the thickness of my material. I'll cut about five thousandths shallower than that so that it doesn't cut all the way through. Mm-hmm. And if for some reason it does cut through a little bit in my spoil board, it's never really that much. And so you just run a surfacing toolpath, take you know another five thousandths, ten thousandths at the most off of it. Um, and you've still got some a lot of life left in those tracks. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, they, and then once, you know, once you get down to where they don't work anymore, it's just MDF. You take it off, you throw a new piece on, and the machine will cut all your new tracks for you because yeah. you've already got the tool path. Yeah. I, I, I've considered um, whenever I go to redo my spool boards, which is not too far off because I've had two bits slip and it literally, uh, went all the way through my workpiece and my spoil board almost the full one inch thickness. So yeah, it's it's about time. So uh, I'll consider going with a slab. I've I've tried that in the past and I don't know. We'll see. But hey, now that now that uh you know I'm using micro jig, I wasn't at the time. It might be uh might be worth the spin a spin. The 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 worst thing that can happen, all right, so you've already got the bit. Mm-hmm. Worst thing that can happen is that you waste a piece of MDF the size of your spoiler board. Doesn't work out. Not a big mm-hmm. deal. But if you, you know, it, it's really not that that hard to do. I mean, you just, you know, just a toolpath of of a grid of lines, and you know, once you once you get that, the hardware, put it in there, make some simple stops, which I know you've already got a bunch of. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's wonderful. Oh yeah, I've even made my own uh, fixture pieces out of walnut, and you know they were they were specialized that where I needed two holes instead of just the one mm-hmm. for to keep something from canting, and uh, found that walnut or any hardwood does really well at making some of your own custom fixture pieces, and so I could even see where 
that could come into play. Oh yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Morgan. You've now spawned new ideas for uh, the CNC for me that uh, I wasn't <laughs> planning on doing anytime soon. So thanks. Well, I know that if I just if I just give you you know plant a tiny seed with you that you'll you'll take it across the finish line, across several finish lines. So yeah. it, it won't be what you were thinking either. It'll be like, yeah. oh, okay. Not- no, I mean, that's, I, I love that. And that's, that's no, kind of the, that's the beauty of the matchmaking system is that it's just, it's a, it's a system that, you know, it, it's, it's based on a simple work holding thing. You, people can do whatever they want. With it. So if it's not something that we've thought of, more than more more times than not, it's something that we haven't even thought of. Um, that someone has found a lot of use for in their shop. So that's kind of the beauty of it. Yeah, so really it matches and fits what the operator needs, but the tools and the hardware are there for them. That's kind of a it's a good way to think of it. <laughs> yeah, here we we have some tools. Go buy them and have fun. Figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a bucket of Legos. They all go together the same way. You get it. You'll get it. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I will say this. I, I got a hold of a Work Smarter shirt, I don't know, two, three years ago. It is by far one of the most comfortable work shirts that I own. I mean, in the summertime, it's breathable. It's comfortable. You can move. It's not restrictive. I mean, you know, I know that sounds crazy, but there, there's only, uh, I don't know, a couple other shirts that, uh, that we, we've actually got one from one of our old, old, old work shows years ago. It's a black one. That one's very cool. So, it, uh, what is it? What do they call it? Ringspun cotton. Mm-hmm. Ringspun cotton all day. It's most comfortable, most comfortable fabric. Ringspun. I'm going to write that down right now. Yeah, ringspun cotton. Operators are standing by. It's the only, it's the only way to live. Cotton available wherever fine products are sold. So, Chris, were you asking for a shirt? Were you just hinting no, at that? No, no, no. I just, the the work smarter. I mean, it's just one of those cool, you just wouldn't think Chris, that. Let me get you another shirt. Actually, mo- mo- let me find, let, hang on. <laughs> well, the, the point of behind that was most companies don't offer a, you know, really yeah, comfortable work shirt. Ah, they um, do have that run one. Yeah. We did a limited run, and this isn't even the one that I was looking for. Dang it. Um, <laughs> we did it, it was basically that thing, but at the bottom it says social distancing. Day, um, that <laughs> we just did like a very small run of those. I thought those were clever. Yeah, you have it somewhere on your Instagram. I saw it and I said, that was pretty. Oh, there it is. Yeah, social distancing guild. Some, guild. That's it. I see it now. Where you still had the uh, this quite stylish mustache. If you'd like to see Morgan with a mustache, you have to check out his Instagram uh, at Instagram.com slash Morgan Hop. That's with one P. It's one P. Is it? Is it? I thought his uh, full name was on there. Oh, it is. Yeah. But I'm not butchering it. Is it? Right? Is it somewhere on there? Oh, it's your, not yeah, like my full name. Because um, there, like it has the hammer and wrench right after it. Yeah, no. Yeah, Morgan Hop. Hopkinsberger. It's been there. Brutal. We go. Yeah. So I mean, a hop for brevity. Um, it's just here for everybody. 
Well, I figure if you start typing that in, I feel confident your name will pop up to finish out the sentence. Yeah. So if someone's looking into, no, I'm not looking for that guy. I'm looking for Morgan Hop. That's not what I want. No. So have you ever, have you ever, um, <laughs> have you ever searched for your handle as a hashtag? I did that just out of curiosity. Everybody's Google themselves. But just out of curiosity, I searched for hashtag Morgan Hop the other day. And it's some Canadian kid who rides a scooter. Um, that's like the majority of that hashtag. Well, you know who your competition is anyway. There you go. Oh, I got I to gotta get this kid in line. Well, the, the whole point behind me even making the comment on the shirt is most companies, they don't invest in, in good, really good, comfortable shirts that they're you know, tossing around at, at trade shows and stuff, you know? And so that's, that was kind of what I was getting at was for a, for a shirt that a company selling or, or working with, you know, you just don't typically find them going with the good shirts. So. Yeah. The, um, the, the wings, Bruce and Henry, they're, they're particularly discerning. They, they, they put a lot of care and thought into anything that uh, that they put out. So, you know, from the gripper to a product that we, you know, woodworking tool down to t-shirts or stickers, um, mm -hmm. they want to make sure that it is the best it can possibly be before uh, we put it out to the public. Uh, it makes sense because it's going to have their name on it for the yep. company yep. anyways. And uh the other thing is too, is that, that, that leads me to a very interesting observation is that you're a woodworker first. Mm -hmm. You're not just a face necessarily. Don't get me wrong. It's not that it's not handsome, but using, wearing a shirt every day while you're working eight hours, nine hours, 10 hours, you're going to want something that's comfortable. So Four it's hours. good to know well, however many hours you're going to do. I don't care. But it's good to know that you, you're going to want to wear a shirt that's going to last, be comfortable, breathable, all of those things. So I think that really changes the mindset as far as, you know, not just someone grabbing one at a trade show for free. Instead, it's someone who's going to buy it or look to get one of those because they know they're going to wear it and be comfortable. Yeah, and, and that's if, you know, I mean, you, you, you guys see me in, in videos and stuff that Microjig puts out, but, um, you know, shirts are pretty much optional workshop you don't even have to wear a shirt most of the time so when i do it's it's got to be comfortable yeah it's not like you know it's not like loose hair or dangling jewelry or watches or anything you don't really need a shirt to woodwork but doesn't hurt yeah but you do it for the for the camera i don't know when you get those six minute abs going <laughs> I do it so people will watch the video. I know. Right? I'm not wearing a shirt. Content's just instantly gone to the bottom of the list at that point. <laughs> and so, not sponsored. Please wear a shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're Morgan Hop. Whatever. Hashtag not sponsored. Uh, shirts are off. Well, it's kind of like Don't trying to wear a correct. kilt when you're up on a ladder. I mean, nobody wants to see that. <laughs> I had a. I had a I had a random idea for <laughs> I had a random idea for just like a just a short fun piece of content where like I'm making a um, you know trying to cut a mortise into the end of like a ten foot board and 
I don't have any sort of horizontal boring uh, setup. So I basically just like have to like get on a ladder and get this piece to a ladder while I'm like standing at the top of it, trying to like wrap something at the top. Um, how else would you do it? Right. Makes sense. Yes. Oh wacky. Lord. Gotta be wacky about it. Thank you, Gary. Oh. And Gary was funny. Cause he said earlier when you were saying, I got to take these things off the table cause they're in production or whatever. We can't see what they are. He said, I'll close my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. That'll work. So um, when we got, before we get started, we're just sitting here chit-chatting before we started the show, you had mentioned that you, when being a woodworker, you had a small business. Yeah. Had a, uh, a custom furniture business. Just did all commissions for seven years. Because I, I look at your story as far as your journey and, and everything that you've done. And this, this might be one of those end goal jobs that some people might want as a content creator where they have that business, they're creating the content, they really get passionate about creating the content. And then they find out that there's companies out there that are actually looking for that, not so much to pay them as, you know, hey, make me a video, here's a couple bucks or whatever. But instead, actually, that became your day job. Like it's research and development. Because if you think about it, you're looking at all the products, what you can do with those products, creating things with these products and, and content. But I think that that might be an actual end road for some people to to have that career goal, if you will. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, I've I've done a couple of podcasts, and um, you know, I, whenever I go to trade shows, I kind of get similar feedback. People are asking me like, "Hey, like, why are you why are you just doing this for one brand? Like, could be doing this on your own and and." working mm-hmm. with multiple brands and, and you know getting uh you know paid to to create content for lots of folks. I just said I just don't like the hustle. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um it just seems like a it's just hard, man. Like I've got a I've got a, a three year old at home. Um I've got a you know a family life and, and having a good work life balance is important in like Doing the content creator for a living thing takes so much. And I'm just, it's not that I don't love what I do. I love what I do, but I also love my family and spending time with my family and and having, you know, putting a limit, putting a cap on how much time I'm I'm spending working um, is really important. And so, and it's, it's, that's not to say that like, you know, that's the reason that I'm like settling. It's not like settling. Like I really microjig takes very, very good care of me. And I I love I love the people here. I love working at microjig. Um and so yeah, that's that's kind of my answer is just like I mean, if if I if I really like a product that's like not a microjig product and I use it just personally, because I, you know, I'll go home and I'll do woodworking projects. Um I'll still talk about it, not with any expectation that, you know, I'm going to get paid or whatever. I, I have a job. I don't need that. Right. Um, it's just, you know, to if, if someone is a content creator for the purpose of working with multiple brands, um, then that's, that's awesome. And there's some people that have done extremely well with that. Um, but as an end goal, 
to get to like one brand and be like their their sole content creator um i feel is even better <laughs> yeah there's there's more quality to it you don't feel like you're being i don't want to say that word but necessarily that you're being um that you're just kind of stringing yourself thin to produce something for lots of companies when instead you're more passionate behind it's how i see it because mm-hmm. for you you're very passionate about micro jig i am and i like i really really do really believe in the products very very much and you know working with one brand you you really kind of get a feel for how to present their products and um how to create content that's on brand for that company and that set of products so like it would be really difficult to pop around from brand to brand to brand and kind of figure out their messaging strategy and how they want to communicate their products it's much easier to just work with one company that does one thing very well and really get a feel for how they communicate and just be that voice and i've seen a lot of uh, other creators who have gone that other route and it's almost like you can see their early work and you can see their passion for woodworking and, and tools and and teaching. And then you can see years, you know, a, a year or two or three later, it's almost like they've sold their soul, you know, and now they're putting themselves out there for the for the highest bidder or for for any bidder, you know, and it gets gets kind of sketchy that way. And you lose a lot of trust equity uh, if you're not careful. You know, and and um, so I can definitely appreciate that. So I I I listened to um, it was a while ago, but I listened to a really really good podcast uh, where not as good as this one. <laughs> um, Don't worry, Mark, Mark, but, uh, Mark Spagnolo was a guest. Mm-hmm. It wasn't his podcast, he, but he was a guest on uh, some other podcast where he was talking about that balance between you know, needing to make a living uh, in creating content and being credible and just finding that balance between just taking, you know, whoever, the highest bidder, whatever, and um, talking about products that you don't necessarily know or aren't even relevant to your audience and really focusing on things that you actually like, you actually use in your, or actually relevant to your audience. And he said, you know, you, you basically make a sacrifice, you sacrifice some, some income by narrowing your scope. But, um, in the long run, it, it makes you more credible and you, you retain Mm -hmm. your audience. Yeah. And and I might, well, and in today's, the way that things are going socially, that if you have more constant people coming back to view your stuff, if you have more constant people talking about when you post something or contribute to something, that's starting to mean a lot more than just having those numbers. Like having the constant numbers means mm-hmm. a lot more. So I've, I've looked at um, engagement rate. Like to me, that is like the, that, that's the most important metric. Uh, if you're a content creator, and not that I've looked at it for myself, but, you know, I, I work with uh, content creators uh, that, that work with MicroJig a lot. So engagement rate is actually the, the best metric that you can look at for the effectiveness of a content creator. So somebody can have a million followers, but if their engagement rate is super low 
actually, I found that the more followers people have, the lower their engagement rate is. Yep. So there's a sweet spot of like a lot of followers, but good engagement rate. And that's that comes with the combination of, you know, having a lot of followers, but actually having good, useful content that's relevant to the audience that people will keep coming back to and, and engaging with. Um, because, you know, once, once people reach, uh, you know, just this high echelon of like huge subscribership, um, they just, I don't know, seem to, to lose a lot of their funk. Funk's a good way to put it. They're just, they're, they're, they're pulled thin. Uh, because when you get so many people in there, then also your engagement rate numbers drop down because now you have so many followers yet maybe a handful are only saying something. So then that percentage drops down, but you also have to engage back. It's a, it's a tough game back and forth, especially on a company side of things. Like when you're working with, or you're doing something for micro jig and you want to keep a certain set number for yourself to know that this post is doing good or that one did better. You know, you, you have to have a baseline. Um, but do you know, Mr. Chris Miller from a man, a tool? Uh, Chris Miller from tool. I'm I'm definitely familiar with him actually. Yeah, I uh, work with two of the greatest people, Henry and Bruce. I'm honored to have them as friends. Chris, that is wonderful. Um, I will let them know that you said that. Yeah, Chris. He, he, he they'll probably without a doubt know. Chris Miller is one of our. He's a local guy for us. So, but he's nationwide. Uh, what is he, Chris? Sales manager for Amana nationwide something. Uh, nationwide he's uh, two days a week. I don't know what position that would give him. He recently retired, and the joke is he always takes whatever day ends in Y off. But he's not fully retired yet. Like, he's semi-retired, so he only works two days a week. Yep, there you go. Yep. <laughs> yep. Great. But but he is one of the most genuine guys you'll ever meet. I mean, it, it's, you know, you, you in your line and doing a lot of trade shows, I'm sure you've met a lot of salesmen. Chris is just one of those guys who's just down to earth and, and easy going. And, you know, you could just chat with him for hours on the end. And most of us have. So. And that's, that, that is the, the mark of a good sale. Well, not just a good salesman, but you know, just, just a good dude. Um, mm-hmm. But like a good salesman, you don't know that you're being sold to. Um, mm-hmm. People hate to be sold to. Yeah. Um, they love buying. So, it's they, a fine they, line to walk yeah um but yes that, that it is an art so i i think in a way how i see this is that that engagement rate in social media when you meet someone in this industry of woodworking entirely is that when you meet them it, you almost feel like you've known them a long time and so therefore whenever you see them again and they remember you like you have that engagement and you have that trust equity with that person sells itself. You don't need a salesperson at that point. You just need that contact. So have, um, do you guys know about WorkbenchCon? Um, mm-hmm. that, that conference in Atlanta. So I went to that one. Uh, it was in February of 2020. So right before quarantine happened and everybody had to go home. Um, and there's, you know, a lot of people that attended or people that, that I've interacted with on social media or follow or follow me. And um, it was really interesting to meet a lot of these people and really get a sense of 
who they are, because everybody presents the version of themselves that they want to present on social mm-hmm. media. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's really no fake in that in real life. So meeting the, these people face to face, some people were exactly who you'd expect them to be. And some people were very different than than you were, were expecting. Mm-hmm. Really. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it, there's um, there, there's a lot of uh, being genuine. Authenticity is is huge in uh, especially in this community. It's a fairly small community. And if you show up to a trade show or you meet somebody, you know, out wherever. And you are not the person that you present yourself to be on social media. Uh, it'll be known, you mm-hmm. know. Be be you. Well, when you're talking to somebody, then you turn around, talk to someone else, and have a different demeanor right off the bat. That that. So I was at WorkbenchCon for that one for 2020, and that's exactly what I did: was just try to figure out these social media personalities and who was genuine. And who was not, you know, who was there to sell anything they could sell just to basically sell, you know? And it's like, yeah, we, 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 I kind of wish people would understand that in the woodworking industry in general is that there's already those out there. So there's no need to be that person because there's plenty of those already out there who aren't in your shoes as far as social media goes, but you just be yourself. Like uh, Mike coffee. I noticed that you guys were friends on Instagram and he's probably one of the most genuine guys I met out of that whole conference. Oh Yeah. Mike and I, I don't know if I even I actually didn't even meet Mike at the conference. Um, I knew he was there, um, but we had done some work together uh, with Mike Jig stuff um, after the fact, and like we exchanged phone numbers and like now we probably text at least once or twice a week. Like, like Mike Mike's actually a good buddy now, um, and. Uh, other people like um, Ethan, uh, Abram, Abramson, Ethan, uh, the build with Ethan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he, he's a good buddy. And we, we text. And um, actually, I, I actually met, where did I meet her? I met April Wilkerson at AWFS in Las Vegas, uh, 2019. And then I had seen her, you know, just kind of sporadically from, you know, different shows and stuff. Um, but, you know, like, we we actually worked on a project together earlier this year in in March, and um, she's actually you know you kind of get this 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 weird idea that like the bigger somebody is that you know they're probably not who you think they are that they're somehow you know not genuine or whatever. April mm-hmm. is one hundred percent genuine, exactly the way that she presents herself. She's just she's very real. She's very authentic, um, and. Yeah, but then there's there's some other folks that, you know, present themselves one way on social media and I met them at workbench con and I'm like, mm. <laughs> That's a good face. You. That's a good face. <laughs> mm-hmm. How do you spell that? Just for the transcripts we make sure we get that right. Right. Yeah, you gotta get it captioned right. Well, see, that's kind of weird that you you met them for the first time at that AWFS because that was the same show that I had met you, and then literally a couple minutes after we left the um, microjig booth, I met Ethan in April. 
Of course, the guy I was with knew them. I didn't know either one of them, but the guy I was with knew both of them, and they chatted up like they were best friends forever. I don't know. So, you know, it's kind of kind of small world that way. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's that's what I mean. It's like this this is a pretty small community. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, like those those were two of the, the three people that I just mentioned, and you met those two people at the same show that we were at. And so, like, it's it it's a small community and um you know just be authentic or you you know you risk being exposed <laughs> yes very quickly too and then you won't be told that you're exposed you just won't be told anything you just won't be talked to after that mm-hmm. and i also met um who else did i meet at that show i met matt cremona and he is every bit as as just um humble and and sweet as as he is on you know everything matt is just such a cool guy um and i also met uh mark spagnolo at wasn't it it was at workbench con and he was also he's a super nice dude too um and he's like the he's like the king of of woodworking content creation um and yeah very very nice very down to earth dude now I have to ask, you seem like a tall person. How tall are you? Uh seven foot two. No, nice. <laughs> he is um, tall. I can confirm. Six foot five when I stand up straight, which is okay. rare. So I have a horrible posture, so I tell people six four. There you go. Perfect. Because yeah. the first thing I noticed is that um and Chris, you know, he I'm a tall guy, I'm six four. And so the first thing I noticed about Mark and Matt was just, I never expected him to be that short. Oh, Matt? Matt and Mark. Yeah, Mark Spagnuolo and Matt. Both of them were walking side by side next to the Festool or the Saw Stop booth. And I literally had no idea who they were from from behind because I always imagined them taller. I mean, you see Matt next to all these bandsaws and the bandsaw mills. I was expecting him to be like your height, our height. I don't remember Mark Shut being up. very short. Oh, Mark seemed like very average height to me, but Matt is very small. I could fit him in my pocket. Yeah, <laughs> I was really shocked. I just wasn't thinking he would be that. Anyways, I don't know. It's one of those things where you have something in your mind, and then when you go to meet him, it doesn't mean that he was bad or anything. Just at the same time, I really wasn't expecting. Oh, okay, Chris. Uh, mm-hmm. Gary, he, he's been in sales all of his life, and he says sales is really about building the long-term relationships, not a hit and run which is true. Yeah. And then Chris says, bragger, not everyone can be tall, but you know what? We're here to pick up the things off that top shelf for you, Chris. No and problem. we're here to grab those things off the bottom shelf that hurts your back. Cause you can't bend over that far. <laughs> so I well, do get you. asked fairly frequently at like when I'm at a grocery store or something, I will get asked by little old ladies to get something off of top shelf oh. for them, um, all the time. <laughs> and you're like, get it yourself. You'll no, never mind. I'm like, the stool aisle is over there. Go buy a stool and bring it over here. You got it. You should just walk around the grocery store for the next time you want to do a video and just bring a small step stool. And then just, you know, if they ask you to do that, you just bust out the small step stool and put it right there in front of the shelf for them. Be like, here you go. You got (laughs) this. You got this. There you go. Or walk down the aisle announcing. Now reaching things off the top shelf. Anyone need anything? Now reaching things off the top shelf. Yeah, while I'm up here, does anyone else need anything? You guys remember that this there was like a when I was growing up there was like a Nickelodeon show where like 
they would give kids, you know, like five minutes to run through a Toys R Us or something and get everything that they could Absolutely. into a car. So they would just run like with their arm in an aisle and just like scoop everything off the aisle. That's what I should just do. Just like run along the top shelf, just scoop everything off and be like, everybody, all you short people, come and come and get what you need. I like this. I like where this is going. Dumb stuff on the top shelf, like styrofoam coolers and uh, beach umbrellas. That'd be all right. Bread, that hard to reach bread. (laughs) Just knock it all on the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry, Chris. You can only do the middle shelf. I know. He's a kiosk guy. So, as a woodworker, what would you say your favorite build is? Uh, and we don't have pictures, build. so it's just a matter of trusting that your favorite build is was cool and it was something you enjoyed doing. Or one that stands out amongst the rest. Well, I built a recreation of the Mayflower. Yeah, you can't disprove it, so I'm going to stick to that. Life <laughs> size, like one-to-one ratio? Oh, yeah, full scale. Okay. Um, so I think what I really like building is... Um, retrofitting something that is that exists uh into something that i built so like i've done a couple of these so far um one of my favorite builds was a uh i i made a full scale um 88 key piano an electric keyboard um and i built a full scale like upright piano shell to make it look like it was you know a real piano um, it was for a touring band and they wanted something that they could bring on stage that looked like a real piano, but not have to carry around a, you know, real a piano. thousand pound piano. Um, so the thing in total weighed like 82 pounds um, with the keyboard in it, but it was, uh, it had all the, all the electronics built in. So like just plug the Jackson down at the bottom, the sustain pedal was right down there at the bottom on casters it looks like a proper upright piano um and so i'm i'm building something similar for piano at home um i don't know just just doing stuff that is i don't know one-off completely unique um that is there never has been nor will there ever be anything exactly sure there's other people that do Similar stuff, but um, this one is mine, and I made it for my piano. So mm-hmm. I think, and I think that that's kind of the point of of woodworking. That's the point of making is making something that you can't just get somewhere else. Yeah. Um, if you can just get it anywhere else, what's the point? I can see it now in twenty years. Uh, today, we're showcasing the Morgan Hop reproduction of the piano carcass. Uh, and it's going to sell for like a million dollars on that uh, on that uh, PBS show, you know, where they come. Be, yeah, you know, the, awesome. the, the, the free market show. thing or whatever. It's, yeah, roadshow. How, road uh, how much do you think an epoxy river would fetch? Epoxy river table would fetch on the antiques roadshow 50 years from now. That. That's actually quite an interesting question because there's so many, but you know, if you're going to do an original, yeah, <laughs> those would fetch something. 
I couldn't, you know, that's going to be very interesting because we're going to sit and watch this and we're going to hear the story of this person explaining to the other person who has a river table, the popularity and how it was, you know, this and that. It's too late now, but I had a, I have a great idea based on that comment. You should have saved the stash, shaved it perfectly clean, laid it out with CA glue, a river table over the stash. And in 20 years, it would sell. This is the famous uh, Morgan Hop stash from quarantine 2021. And it would sell. I mean, it's just money like that. I mean, just, just profit it. <laughs> That's your retirement and you missed it. I should just send it to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They could put it yeah. right next to Neil Diamond's famous tassel jacket, you know? Yep. There you go. Yep. You missed your you missed your opportunity. It's in some trash can or some barbershop somewhere, you know, just Well, that's the beauty of facial hair is that I can very, very slowly grow this back. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to put it. That's why I don't have a mustache. It takes forever. It so that was about a month's growth. Um and that's about all that's that's about all I can do. So this space here and this space here, deserts. Completely desolate, cannot grow hair right here. So a beard is never in the cards for me. This but, space right here, uh this space right here. <laughs> yeah, I cannot grow the hair there. So we always have Bosley, right? <laughs> but you know, it, erod- it erodes down here well, so I don't know what's going on. So. Dolph. Slowly going down. I mean, so with I guess, a head of hair like that, it makes all the sense in the world. Micro Jig shows you as, uh, you know, their spokesperson and content. That is guy. a heck of a head of hair. Now, so Gary, I'm guessing that kind of the way that uh, Morgan answered that question sounded like that was mm-hmm. your most popular commission asked to build was the piano. That um, that was one of my favorite. Um, I wouldn't say. Popular, popular with me, mm-hmm. um, and, that was and that's actually, all that matters. Yeah, it, it was, and it was actually one of the the first. I had just started woodworking, like I hadn't been doing it for very long at that point. When somebody paid me to do this, and I couldn't believe that they paid me what I asked them to pay me for it. <laughs> um, and much less it was for a like a traveling band. And those guys are poor. I used to be. I used to be in a band. We were poor, so I was like, "There's no way these guys are going to pay me to do this." Um, pop, like built a lot of stuff. Um, there was there was a uh, there was a an event venue in um, about an hour and a half away from here that I built about thirty grand worth of. Uh, built-ins and different furniture pieces for and stuff. Um, but that was actually, that was my least favorite project because it, it, I overextended myself. I burnt myself out and mm-hmm. that was ultimately my last project as uh, my own. Um, built a bunch of cool stuff, but it was just, I, I underbid and um, ended up not, actually making a whole lot of money on it. Um, it's typical. I mean, you know, that that's I was I was watching a really interesting video. Actually, I've been writing well, I did that this morning too, but I've I've actually been um started writing a book a couple months ago. 
Cool. Um, and I'm a few chapters into it. Um, but it has to do with how the uh, how the Industrial Revolution has changed the craft of woodworking. So prior to that, prior to this big heavy machinery and, and large production lines, uh, you had independent woodworkers, and um, they were they were doing their work. And then now you've got IKEA, and as much as I love IKEA, they they carried me through college. They made me feel like an adult when I was nowhere near that. Um, but what they've done is they've effectively changed the perception of the value of uh, of wood products. Um, mm. People think that uh, an end table should only cost you fifty bucks. Um, and so we've we've kind of continually been been reconditioned, reconditioned, and reconditioned to believe that. So, like, I bought a end table from IKEA for fifty. I made a move. Didn't make the move because it was poorly made or it's just, you know, cheap material. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was still poor. And so rather than going and buying something that would last me, I was just like, just buy another one for 50 bucks. And I did that. And then I moved again. That one broke. And so when you buy the same end table for 50 bucks four or five times, you end up spending what you should have spent on one end table. Um, but because you've bought that end table for 50 bucks, four or five times, the next time you need to go buy an end table, what do you, in your mind, what would you expect to pay for an end table? Yeah. 50 bucks. And so that has, uh, there's been a psychological transformation. Uh, it's widespread globally of the value of good. And, you know, when you go and quote a, uh, quote a job, quote a project for, uh, you know, something that's handmade, something that is, uh, custom and you tell people the price, they're like, what are you talking about? That's, that is way too much. I'm like, that's, that's what it is. Um, so that, you know, um, that's a good chunk of the book. And then. The rest of it is talking about how, you know, now that we really can't compete with the IKEAs of the world, we have to do something that's unique um, and custom, and we have to figure out how to position our work to uh, convey value. Mm-hmm. Um, but just doing good work isn't enough. You also have to be extremely skilled with social media marketing kind of sucks because <laughs> just being good at something isn't good enough anymore yeah if you're good at social if you're good at the internet you don't even have to be good at woodwork you just have to be good at the internet and you can sell your crappy stuff that you build so mm-hmm. like just how the industrial revolution and the advent of the internet has completely affected the woodworking uh, woodworking as an industry and as a community. So mm-hmm. that's that's what it's about. That would be a very interesting one to, to check out. And you heard it here first on the Whatnot Podcast that's Book right. Club. Morgan Hopps' Industrial Revolution, Change of the World in Woodworking. Title yet to so, be determined. 
you, you and you'll also hear it first. Uh, this book will never be published. Um, it's, it's is there gonna be like a white going to publish this book, but um, I'm just gonna make it free and just put it out there for anybody who cares. And that's probably again probably gonna be not many people, but um, I don't know. It's just a, a labor of love. But at the same time, you'd be very interested to know how many people don't understand the connection of history with the economies and the mm-hmm. disposable society that we've become. Mm-hmm. You know, I always found it very interesting. There's a place here locally in North Carolina, the Old Salem Museum. And what they're looking for is pre-Civil War furniture built in North Carolina out of these small shops. So whether they did 10 for the town, of like dining room tables and chairs, or if they did one-off pieces, they have this museum for them. And what was really interesting is learning from the shop itself. Like they have a full size shop there to help build or do whatever to fix things. And I found out from them that it's anything before the civil war because the industrial revolution, they didn't have circular saw blades. And that's how you can tell something before 1860 is a circular saw blade. And I had zero clue. I always thought, I mean, I didn't know. So I thought they'd just been around. But just that single invention right there changed the milling industry, changed so many things to make it more readily available and cheaper to get certain goods. And then, of course, it swings the other way. So, no. So, for me, see, I'm interested in that book right off the bat. Now available in PDF download. Perfect. And, you know, that's not to begrudge technology at all. I mean, technology... Technology makes it possible for us to do what we do. Um, and so it's, it's, it's not really taking a position of like good or bad. It's just, here's what happened. It and, is what it is. And here's where we are. And here's where we're going. Right. No, I'm not, no, definitely not saying that it's a, it's a stance on good or bad, whether it's just, it is what it is and how it took place and how it shifted and moved things by people not knowing that. I just think that's it's going to be a good topic. Because is woodworking in general, it's not only just, oh, hey, you're back. Thanks for coming. Yeah. It's not only just, you know, the, the passion of woodworking, but the history. Of I it. did. Yep, I did. I drooled all over my other one. <laughs> I was going to say, you left your microphone on so we could hear you blowing your nose. No, it was me huffing. Oh. My, my, my browser said, you've lost connection to your camera. You're still in the show. You were here, luckily. Yeah. I'll tell you what, it's about that time. We don't want to take up any more of Morgan's time as he's got to go home now since he's in the uh, the micro jig shop doing this. And we appreciate you coming on, sharing some about what you do, who you are, and your passion for micro jig in general. Yeah. And uh, let us know when the book comes uh, out and, you know, we'll we'll have you back on. You can talk talk to us and maybe read a chapter. Oh, that's going to be so, (laughs) so long from now. I have no... That's, that's a wonderful thing about doing that in your free time. I have yeah. no deadline. Nobody's breathing down my neck to do it. It might take me another three, four years. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it's, I, I do enjoy writing. So I'll let you know right down the road when it's done. Sounds great. Thank you, everyone, for watching and commenting tonight. And uh, by the way, if you like what we do and you want to help support us, by all means, there is always the Patreon.com Whatnot Podcast. We uh, please like, share, and subscribe. All that happy, fun stuff to help us keep doing what we enjoy because, well, 
during certain times this year, we decided that uh, we just had to talk to people that are in our wheelhouse as far as the industry goes. And Morgan, you're right there, bud. Yep. So we thank you very much for, for coming on. And you said you were going to be boring. Yeah. And if you've never watched any of his content or any of Microjig's content, well, you know, head on over there, check it out. And uh, both Morgan Hop and Microjig, I guarantee you're going to see him somewhere and uh, you won't be disappointed. So go check him and Microjig out and enjoy. Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Everyone have a great evening and enjoy the rest of your week. All right. Take care.